My father's house is to be called a house of prayer, and we're excited to come together this Saturday and spend time praying. Uh, Prior Lake Campus, Shakopee Campus together, praying for our church and our world and all of those around us. So come and join us this Saturday as we spend some time praying together. Hi, my name is Matt. Yeah. I should absolutely start there. It's nice to have all of you here. Sadie came up to me much earlier today, and she said to me, Matt, as one introvert to another, I just want to privately say happy birthday to you. (laughs) Not realizing she was setting me up uh, for later. So thank you for that, Sadie. That's wonderful. Wonderful. I'll have to get her back in a nice way. We have an opportunity this morning to welcome new members to our church. Uh, Once every couple of months, we welcome people who have uh, become new members here at Friendship Church. And I want to call your attention to the names that are up on the screen. Uh, Kurt, the first name, and then Sharon and John were all in the first service. And so we had an opportunity to introduce them and have them wave and say hi to everybody. Uh, Jeff and Heather are Shakopee uh, members, and so I'm not going to have them wave. You wouldn't see it. Uh, But Nick and Alyssa, they are here. Alyssa's over here. I'm going to have you wave. Yes. And Nick is working this morning, right? And so we want to welcome Alyssa as a part of our church family. Absolutely. You can clap. (laughs) This is the second time in the last couple months I've had you wave when your hands are very full. I'm sorry about that. Uh, When a person becomes a member of a church, they go from dating the church to marrying the church. They say, yes, we're ready to make a commitment. This is going to be our church. And the church says to that person, hey, you're going to be our person. We're going to enter into discipleship together as a family. And we're excited about uh, these new members that we have. And I just invite you to pray with me right now as we give God thanks for them. Father, we're so thankful for these new members. Uh, we're, We're thankful for those that you have drawn here. And the work you've done in their life in order to bring them to this place of commitment where they say, yes, we want to be a part of Friendship Church. We want to be a part of God's mission as it's being expressed through this family, through this body of believers. We pray that you would continue, as we saw with Abraham, to bless them so that they can continue to pour out your blessings into the lives of others. In Jesus' name, amen. We're in the middle of a sermon series, and what is it called? When God Says Jump. What's that sermon series about? Our sermon series is about the life and faith of Abraham and his relationship with God. And as we're looking at that, we're looking at our own life, our own faith, and our own relationship with God. And what did we see from Abraham last week? We saw Abraham's faith fail, didn't we? In the second half of Genesis chapter 12, Abraham's faith, Abram's faith fails him. There's a a famine in the land, but he doesn't trust God's provision. And so he goes down to Egypt to seek provision. And when he's in Egypt, he's very afraid because his wife is a wonderfully attractive woman. And Abram is so scared that the people of Egypt are going to get rid of him in order to take his wife. And so he says, we're telling everybody that you're just my sister. And because they do that, Abram's wife winds up in the harem of another man. Abram had a 
terrible faith failure in the end of Genesis chapter 12. And what did it lead to? It led to disobedience, dishonesty, selfishness. It led to sin. Anyone in here ever had a failure of faith? Where you didn't fully recognize the presence and power and protection and provision of God. And it led you to a place of sin and of selfishness? Yeah, every one of us, right? Every one of us. Most of us in this room don't have to think back very far in order to think back to our last time of sin and selfishness in our life. Right? Yes, absolutely. What do we do in those situations? When our faith has failed, when we've sinned, when we've been selfish, what are we to do? Well, in Genesis chapter 13, Abram gives us a wonderful model of what we should do if we've experienced a failure of faith in our life. What we should do if we've experienced sin and selfishness in our life. And so I want to invite you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 13. We're going to look at that first as we go through our passages this morning. What do we do when our faith has failed? As we begin to look at Genesis chapter 13, the first three verses are Abram and Lot traveling out of Egypt. They've been kicked out of Egypt because they've lied about Sarai. And they head back to this area between Bethel and Ai, uh, to a land that verse 4 says, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And what does Abram do when he reaches this place? And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. What What do you recognize about the word Lord there? All capital letters. So what does that signify in your Bible? This is the covenant name of God. This is Yahweh, isn't it? He's failed in his faith. He's sinned, but he goes back and he seeks God and he worships God. This is so important for us when we fail, when we sin, when we give in, that we recognize God's call in our life is to come back into his presence, to be with him, to seek him, and to worship him. So important for us to understand because what's our natural inclination when we sin and do wrong? It's in shame to stay away from God. Like Adam and Eve did. They they sinned and they hid from God and that's our natural inclination. Well, he's holy and uh, I'm a mess. I'm a disaster over here. He doesn't want me around him. And I don't know that I really want to be around him because it just calls more attention to what's going on in my mess. But what does God want in those situations? Does he want us to hide? No, he is a loving, merciful, and gracious father who wants us to come back into his presence and to seek him and to worship him and to be with him. This is going to shock you guys, but when my kids were growing up in my home, there were times that they did things wrong. Times they did things wrong, times that they disobeyed me. And when they did that, what did I want as a father more than anything? I wanted them to sulk around the house for weeks on end, avoiding me at all costs. Right? That's what I wanted. No, that's not what I wanted. What did I want as a dad whose heart is for his kids? I wanted them to run to me, to jump up into my lap, for us to spend time together. Yeah, processing what they'd done, but also helping them to understand, I'm for you. Right? I, I want to battle this with you, spend time with them. And I'm a deeply broken, imperfect father. 
Our perfectly loving and gracious Heavenly Father wants more than anything from you if you have experienced a failure of faith for you to come jump into his lap and spend time with him, seeking him, worshiping him. You may say, well, don't I have to confess? Don't I have to repent? Yes. But that never happens at a distance. Healthy confession and repentance never happens at a distance from God. It happens when we draw near to God and see his love and his majesty and come before him and confess and repent what we have done. What does God want us to do if we have failed in faith? He doesn't want that faith failure to define us. And for us to get into this shame cycle where we're ashamed of what we've done, so we stay away from God. Well, we stayed away from God, so what do we do? We fail some more. Oh, we failed some more, so what do we do? We, we experience shame, so we stay away from God. Well, we stayed away from God, so what do we do? We fail. You, you get the idea. God wants us to run back to him in the middle of our failure, in the middle of our sin, and come and be with him and spend time with him. And Abraham does that. He comes back, he seeks him, he worships him. And as Abraham is seeking and worshiping God, his nephew Lot is there with him. They're, they're living in this same area together, and they have a problem. What is their problem? They have too much wealth. Right? Doesn't that sound like a huge problem? Anyone here willing to put up with Abram and Lot's problem? Too much wealth. Well, the problem is their wealth is in their animals. It's in their herds. It's in their flocks and in the servants that are taking care of them. And they're all trying to live and raise these animals on this same patch of land. Abram's servants and Lot's servants, they're battling over who gets the best resources and who gets the leftover resources and who gets the first resources. And as they battle over that, Abram's got a suggestion in order to take care of this conflict that's going on. Abram's suggestion is this. Then Abram said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I'll go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. Abram takes Lot up to the highest place that there is in the region. They look over all of the land, and Abram says to Lot, you choose what you want. And whatever you choose, I'm going to go someplace else. You go to the right, I'm going to the left. You go to the left, where's Abram going? Right, he's going to the right. Choose whatever land you want. And what does Lot see as he is up there on this high peak? Verse 10, and Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zor. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. The Jordan was green and beautiful, like the Garden of Eden. It was clearly the best land. And so now the question is, will Lot choose to take that best land for himself and leave Abram with the leftovers, or will he give the best land to his uncle and benefactor Abram and take the leftover land for himself? What's the answer to this? Lot takes the best land for himself. He says, oh, that, that land looks much better than all the rest of the land. Thank you, I will take that. Lot is like the, the boy who walks up to the counter with his brother, and he's told, choose a cookie. 
And there's a great big cookie on the counter and a tiny little cookie on the counter. And Lot says, oh, I'll take the great big cookie, thank you. And Abram, you get the little cookie. And so, and so Lot moves into the valley of Jordan. And he moves to this tremendously wicked city, Sodom. And Abram settles in Canaan. When Lot had a choice, he chose the very best for himself. Abram, on the other hand, was generous and loving and put Lot first. And I think we see here that faith in God leads to generosity towards others. Faith in God leads to generosity towards others. Last week, Abram operated outside of faith. And when he had no faith in God, what was his expression? It was one of selfishness. I'm afraid for my own life. And so I'm going to put my wife in a situation where she has to enter into the harem of Pharaoh, into this disgusting and dangerous situation, also that I can save my own behind. Out of his lack of faith, he acted in selfishness. This week, Abram is acting filled with faith in God. And that faith leads him to a place of generosity and love where he can say to Lot, you choose whatever you want and I'll take what's left. Why is he able to do that with Lot? He, he didn't have to. He was the patriarch of the family. God's promise had been made to him. He could choose whatever land he wanted. He had the rights. So why does he feel so free to say, Lot, you choose. You take what's best. It's because he has faith in God as his good parent who's going to be his provider and his protector and who is going to be ever present with him. When we have faith that God is going to provide for all of our needs, that he's going to protect us no matter what, it allows us to be generous with what he has given to us. It allows those blessings to flow through our hands, our time, our talent, our treasure, to flow through our hands to others because he's got it. He's a good parent who's going to take care of any needs that we have. When my daughter was in elementary school, she had a piggy bank that had $42 in it. Uh, she'd been given cash at birthdays or Christmas, and she hadn't spent a lot of it, and she had $42 sitting in her piggy bank in her room. And one day, a missionary came to church and talked about a particular need. And Maddie's heart was moved by the need that the missionary presented. And so she approached my wife and I that Sunday afternoon and she said, I want to give $42 to that missionary. And I said to my daughter, are you sure? You only have $42. And she looked at me, I think disgusted at my lack of faith, <laughs> said, yes, they have a need and I want to give all that I have towards that need. And then she paused for a second and she said, besides, you and mom will get me whatever I need. <laughs> Which was true. Her mom and I would get her whatever she needs. Right? Do you see how free she was able to be, how generous she was able to be because she knew that she had a parent that she could trust in who would protect and provide and give her anything that she needed. And the same is true for Abraham right here. 
He's able to be free and generous. He doesn't have to uh, hold on to his resources, protect them tightly, make sure I'm taken care of, because he fully trusts and has faith in a God who is his provider and protector and will take care of absolutely everything that he needs. And so he lets those resources flow through his hands into others. When we have a, a real and deep faith in God, it's expressed through resources, our time, talent, and treasure flowing through our hands and our lives into the lives of others because we fully trust that our great parent is going to take care of any genuine need that we have. Right? Faith in God leads to generosity towards others. And we see it here from Abraham. Well, God made a promise that he was going to take care of Abram. And what a promise it was. Look at this. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth. So that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring can also be counted. Arise, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. Do you see what God says here? God says, I don't care what land Lot chose. Abram, I'm giving it all to you. Everything that you can see, that is going to belong to you and to your offspring. And how many offspring are you going to have in order to occupy the land? God says, so many that they're like the pieces of dust on the earth. Right? How many is that? Beyond what you're able to count. In Genesis chapter 12, God gives this very general blessing to Abram and says, I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing to other people. Now in Genesis chapter 13, God is bringing greater detail to that blessing. And he says, I'm going to bless you with land, all the land you can see, and I'm going to bless you with offspring. So numerous that you can't even count them all. And God isn't done continuing to bring detail to this covenant blessing that he's going to give to Abram. As a matter of fact, I, I want you to flip over one page to Genesis chapter 15. Because in Genesis chapter 15, God gives even more detail about the blessings that he's going to give. Now, you may be saying, wait a minute, we are in Genesis 13. You told us to turn to Genesis 15. I feel like there's a chapter between there. Yeah, that's right. There is a, a chapter 14, and we're going to come back to that next week and look at this astounding battle of the nine kings that is described in Genesis chapter 14. But I want us to skip over it for right now because I want you to see the greater detail that God gives to the covenant in Genesis 15, beginning in verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O oh Lord God, where, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, uh, behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. God promised Abram that he would have how many offspring? As many as the pieces of dust on the ground. 
And it has been several years since that promise has been made. And Abram is talking to God and he says to God, God, you've promised me as many offspring as there are dust on the earth. And right now my child count is zero. I've got nothing. If I were to die today, everything I own would go to Eleazar, my servant. And I really like Eleazar, but that's not the promise that you made. And so what's going on, God? Is this promise legit? God's response. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man, that is Eleazar, shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he, Abram, believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. God changed the illustration for Abram's blessing. In chapter 13, it is you're going to have so many offspring, it'll be like the what? The pieces of dust on the ground. But here in chapter 15, he says, no, no, you're going to have so many offspring that it's going to be like the number of stars in the sky. How many is that? It, it's a lot. Again, it's beyond what you can count, Abram. That's the point. And as Abram walks around during the day looking at the ground around him, and as he walks around at night looking at the sky above, either way he has an illustration of the promised blessings of God. That you are going to have more offspring than you can possibly count, Abram. And Abram believed God for this promise, and it was credited to him as righteousness. We'll come back to that in the weeks to come. God has given him here Another picture, another illustration of how many offspring he's going to have as a part of this blessing that he's, give, that he's getting. But what about the land? I mean, is the land blessing still on the table? Because God came back to the offspring and he gave him another picture to say, yep, you're going to have all these offspring. What about the land? Is the land still something that Abram should look forward to? Look at the next verse. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. God says, yep, land blessing, offspring blessing. Absolutely, this is still going to happen, Abram. Still going to happen. But Abram's response was, oh, Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? Now God is going to give him this, this word picture, this, this physical symbol that they're going to enter into in order to help him understand how he can be confident that it's going to happen. He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. God tells Abram, I want you to cut all of these animals in half, and I want you to make a pathway of animal carcasses. Right, you got your pathway, you've got these animal carcasses facing each other on this pathway. Hey, the birds are too small to cut in half. Let's leave them whole, but everything else you're, you're hacking up. And you got half on each side. And it isn't a shocker, is it, that with all of these dead animals laying out, the vultures come and want a part of this. And I love this picture of Abram like beating away the vultures. I don't know what God has planned here, but I don't think it's you guys. So get out. What does God have planned here? What is this crazy picture of this half-animal pathway that we have going on? Well, let's continue to look and see. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, 
Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I'll bring judgment on the nation that they serve and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age and they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete." Abram falls asleep, and God appears to him and speaks to him, and he says, those offspring that I have promised you, they're going to take possession of this land. But first, but first they are going to be sojourners and servants in Egypt for 400 years. And because they're going to be sojourners in Egypt for 400 years, and because of the way that I am going to release them, They are going to leave with all kinds of wealth. The people of Egypt are going to pour valuable gifts upon them because of the way that that interaction is going to take place. They are going to leave a wealthy nation. Not only that, but because they're going to be in Egypt for 400 years, when they return, the time will be right for them to carry out my rightful justice against the Amorites and the others in the land. When the people of Israel are released from their 400 years of captivity in Egypt and come back to the promised land, they will drive out the Amorites and the others who are in the land. That's God's call to them. Part of that is the blessing that God promises to Abram. This land will be yours. But part of it is God's judgment upon these wicked nations like the Amorites who were busy involved in child sacrifice and all sorts of terrible sexual sin and an unbelievably violent culture. And right now, God is being patient with them in the middle of all of their national sin. He is slow to anger with the Amorites. But after this 400 years, his patience will have come to an end and it is time for them to be driven out. And the people of Israel will be what he uses in order to drive these wicked nations out of the land. God says to Abram, you're going to receive this covenant. Your offspring... They're going to be numerous. And they're going to take possession of all of the land that I have promised to you. This covenant of land and offspring is yours. Now, if you were here last week, it might be very tempting to say, but is Abram even worthy of these covenant blessings, God? Last week, we saw him so worried about himself that he put his wife into another man's harem and risked her life for his own sake. He was involved in dishonesty, disobedience, horrible selfishness. Does he even deserve these covenant blessings that you've promised, God? The answer to that question is no, he doesn't deserve them. He is unworthy to receive them. He's unworthy. He's sinful. His faith has failed, and his faith is going to fail more times as we walk through this. He he is unworthy of the covenant blessings that God is bringing to him, and that's entirely the point. Abram, this covenant isn't about you and your ability to live up to righteousness, your ability to live up to perfect goodness. This covenant is about God and his mercy and his grace. And God now shows him that through this physical example using this pathway. 
when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces, these half animals. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river of the Euphrates. This pathway of dead animals was a part of a Mesopotamian covenant ceremony in which two people would enter into a covenant. These two people that entered into a covenant with each other would walk between these dead animals. It was a way of signifying, I will live up to my part of the covenant or else I can be accursed and dead as these animals. And in this situation, God comes before Abram. He sets up this covenant for them to walk through, but then only God walks through. Only God, symbolized by the fire and the smoke, walks through that covenant tunnel between those animals. Because God knows, Abram, you're not worthy. Abram, you haven't earned this. You don't deserve this. This covenant isn't based on your faithfulness and on your righteousness, Abram. This covenant is based on my goodness and my mercy and my grace. And God passes through and says, I have made this covenant. Not we, I have made this covenant. And because of that, you can count on my faithful fulfillment of the promises that I've made. Believer, that's the same thing that is true in our lives. The covenant of salvation that God has made with us, it's not based on you being good enough. It's not based on you being righteous enough. The covenant that God has made with us is based on what? His grace, his mercy. It's all about him and what he has done. So that he can look at our salvation and say, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Wait, who is it that began a good work in us? It's him. And he's going to bring it to completion. He, he can fulfill these promises that he has made. If it were up to me, would this come to completion? No, because I am unfaithful. Right? I, I'm a mess. But God is faithful, and he can bring it to completion. It is our God who makes the covenant, and our God who is faithful and brings it to fruition in our lives. Isn't that good news? If you're here this morning, and you can think of faith fails, you can think of sin and selfishness, disobedience, areas of your life where you're like, I didn't want to go back over there again, and, and I went back over there again. If you can think of those things in your life and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I want you to recognize the fulfillment of the covenant salvation blessings doesn't depend upon you being perfect. It depends upon the fact that he was perfect and he in his grace and mercy has saved you. And if you are his child and you've experienced those faith fails, what he wants more than anything is for you to run back into his presence, to jump up into Abba, Father's lap, and to spend time with him, to be with him, to worship him all the more, even as you look back at those faith fails. Don't let them drive a wedge between you and God. Don't let them create separation. Instead, run back to Abba, Father. 
seek him and worship him. We want to do that right now as we spend some time partaking in the Lord's Supper together. What a great time for us to examine our hearts and minds and to make sure that we are drawing close to God this morning. No matter what has gone on in us, we want to draw close to him. We can do so because of what Jesus has done. And I want to encourage you to take those elements from the table when you're ready and bring them back to your seat. The bread that represents his sacrifice, the cup that represents his sacrifice on our behalf. Bring them back to your seats and we will celebrate them together.